Good morning, friends. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to and honored to be able to read God's Word with you this morning. Before we get started, I wonder, um, I wonder if you've ever been in a place of deep longing that you wanted something so bad that it just, just like there was this ache in your belly. I remember, I think most of us have been there at one point or another, um, and the scripture we're going to read this morning speaks to that. I remember very vividly the first Thanksgiving that I spent away from my family. I had grown up in Michigan. I went to college there, and I was always like close enough that I could drive home for Thanksgiving. And uh, so I was always able to be with my family. But then one year, I like uh, grew up and got like a job and moved out to Colorado. And I was five states and, and 1,200 miles away from anybody who knew me. And I was planning to go home for Christmas, so I couldn't go home for Christmas and Thanksgiving because they're like three weeks apart and it just didn't work. And so I remember sitting in my apartment in Denver, Colorado, by myself. It's a one-bedroom apartment, and, uh, and it's Thanksgiving Day. And I tried to, like, turn on the Lions to make me feel like, you know, the Detroit Lions always play on Thanksgiving. So, like, make me feel like I'm at home. And, and that didn't really do much for me because I, there was nobody there. Like, I was all by myself. I didn't know how to cook anything. So I didn't even, like, microwave a turkey. Like, I didn't, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't even, like, cold cuts from the store that were warm. Like, it was nothing. I had nothing. I, I didn't have anything to eat. I was so, like, just displaced and out of out of sync. I had just, uh, my, my girlfriend and I had dated for six years and we had just decided it was time to, to part ways. And so, I mean, I was just about as alone as I've ever felt in my entire life. And I remember sitting in this, this brown recliner that I had like picked up at a garage sale for like $30 or something. And, and it was in such bad shape that I had to put a blanket over the top of it to cover up like the, the springs that were sticking up through the, you know, through the canvas. And it was just terrible. And I remember sitting there in the dark, just being like, where am I right now? And I remember just longing so desperately to be near anybody who knew anything about me or who, who, who loved me and who, who I loved in return. I remember just this, this deep, deep ache in my gut. And I wonder if any of you have ever experienced that kind of longing. Maybe it was for, to, to be with your family like me. Maybe some of you moved away from your family or they moved away. Uh, maybe some of your family uh, passed away or someone you know or love passed away and you, you, you couldn't be physically with them anymore. You just have that, that ache in your soul to be, just, just to long to be with them. Maybe, um, maybe you found yourself wanting a relationship or grieving one that had, had passed. You just had this ache in your soul for, for love and for relationship and for a partner to, to do life with. Maybe part of your journey includes uh, the inability to have children for whatever reason. And, and there's just this ache in your soul that you wish was not there. Maybe it has to do with your work and your, your sort of place in the world and, and finding meaning and purpose in the things that you do and the, the ways that you invest your time and your energy and you just look around and you feel like, oh, there's just, there's something there that's just not being fulfilled. Maybe it's just not fitting in, right? Like just not finding your tribe, your people, like the people that get you and, and gel with you and, and that you can do life with. And you just have this ache, this sense, oh, where, where do I belong? 
There's a lot of reasons that we experience longing in our lives, and, and those are all good and normal and, and common human. It's, it's, a, it's a part of being human, right, to experience longing and desire. And God made us that way and put those desires in us. But here's the thing about all those things. Whatever it is that you're craving, none of it will ever satisfy the way that God can satisfy those deep longings in our soul. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we look into the Psalms. Uh, we'll be reading Psalm 63 together. Um, the only thing that can ever satisfy those deep longings is God. And I remember sitting in that brown chair, and I remember, like I said, I think it was even dark because by then, like, the sun had gone down, and I just didn't even care. I was like, ugh. Where am I? Why am I here? Why am I not with my family? What, what is this ache in my, in my gut? And I remember sitting there and all of a sudden hearing, and it wasn't audible, but it, was, it might as well have been because it was spoken right to that ache. God said, you are not alone. I am with you. And I will always remember that moment and I will always wonder how when people find themselves in that moment of ache and just absolute despair, how do you get through it without the God that says, I am with you? And if you don't know that God, let's learn some more about that God. Come and talk to me. Uh, about it, and let's explore this morning through the Psalms. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century uh, mathematician and philosopher, and he said this. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person, a God-shaped hole in everybody's heart that cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. St. Augustine said it a little bit different, uh, differently. He, he, he said, our hearts are restless. We're always longing. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. And so this morning, we're going to turn to Psalm 63 and hear about King David. And the, the preface to Psalm 63, as we, as we look at it, it says, a Psalm of David uh, written while David was in the wilderness of Judah. And most scholars believe that this was probably written at a time when David was in the wilderness because he was fleeing from King Saul, who had brought 3,000 soldiers with him to find and kill David. That's where David wrote the words that we're about to read. When David is longing for God to be present in his life, he's, he's crying out to God. And, and let's see exactly how he does that. On death's doorstep, David cries out, from a place of desert wilderness. And again, he's in the desert, right? So it's, it's barren. He's looking around and he's seeing like nothing, right? You've seen the desert. There's nothing there. There's no signs of hope or life, much less food or water or sustenance, right? And this is where David is writing from. And, and David lets us know that the response to that deep longing, all those things that we crave and, and we know that we need in our hearts can only be filled by God. And we can only fill them if we seek God's presence, if we remember God's power and glory, and if we respond in praise. And so I invite you to hear these words from Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. He writes this. 
You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God, and all who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. David starts off this psalm by saying, Earnestly I seek you. And that word for seek in Hebrew has this, this connotation of expectation. David is, in, remember, he's in the desert. He's being pursued to be killed. And, and his response is, oh God, I need you. <laughs> and I seek you. And, I, and not just am I looking, not just am I longing in my soul, but I do so knowing that you are a God who is faithful. I do so expecting, God, that you are going to act in some way, like you see where I am, God, you can save me. And I know because I've seen your faithfulness. I've seen your glory. And so God, I long for you, David says, like, like my, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. All of who I am longs for you, God. I think sometimes we're taught in, in the church, and even eh, probably especially in the church, um, we're taught that longing and, and desiring something, we have to be careful about that, right? And, and we do. I mean, you look at the list of the Ten Commandments, right? There's two of them about longing for things, right? It's actually more than that. I, the first one is love God before anything else. So that one's really about longing too. Where do we place our desire? Where do we invest our longing, our love, our, 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 our wants and our needs? Where do we invest and where, what are we worshiping? Um, The last two commandments, thou shalt not covet. And there's a whole list. Have you ever read those? It's really long. (laughs) Like, don't covet this, don't covet that. And covet means like desire in an unhealthy way. Like, don't wish that you had the car that your neighbor said, I want a Tesla so bad. I'm not going to have one. I don't, but I'm not supposed to covet. You don't covet that, right? That's what, that's what we read in in the Ten Commandments, right? So I think there's this, this expectation. Um, The Apostle Paul says to be content in all things. He says, "I've, I've learned the secret of being content, in all things, whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing, uh, I have enough in Christ. And that is absolutely true. And I'm not about to stand up here and, and, and preach against the Apostle Paul. Um, that would not be good. But I think that creates this mindset among us sometimes in the church that, that longing and desiring something is perhaps not a, not a holy um, impulse, right? It's, it's, not, it's, it's something that's bad and it's something we have to, 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 to look out for and to be careful of. But the thing is, God created us with 
these longings, right? God didn't create us to, to sit in terrible rocking chairs like wishing you were eating Thanksgiving dinner with your family. Like that's not how God made us. God made us to be together, to do life together, to experience love and relationship with one another and more importantly with God through his son Jesus Christ. That's how God made us. God made us with longings. That, that hole in our heart was put there, right, by God so that we would desire God above all else. And David, when he finds himself in the desert place, when he finds himself on, on the edge of death with nothing to eat or drink, he looks around and sees a parched land and, and his response is, God, I am seeking you because I don't have anywhere else to go. And I know that you are faithful. And so I wonder, though, as we think about what it means to long and what it, what it means to, to ache and, and to desire something, I wonder if that longing for God's presence, based on what we see from David, I wonder if that longing for God's presence can actually be a sign and a reminder of God's presence with us. I wonder if, if God is actually in the longing itself. I'm going to read a couple of poems. You know, I didn't go to Duke Divinity School, but I feel like every preacher who did reads poems all the time, and I'm, I'm doing a few of, that, of those today. Um, so I don't know, maybe, I, maybe they're rubbing off on me. I don't know. Um, but I want to share a couple of poems with you this morning from uh, both Rumi and Rilke. These are poems who lived in different periods, of, or poets who lived in different periods of time, and I do so with gratitude to uh, Reverend, Reverend Libby Smith, who shared a beautiful sermon about longing through the poetry of Rumi and Rilke, and I encourage you to Google that and watch her sermon. It's about 20 minutes long. She reads a bunch of poems from each author, and they're just beautiful. And I want to share a couple of them with you this morning as we talk about what it means to long for God and to long for God's presence. Rumi was a 13th century mystic and poet, and he wrote these words, and this is a, an excerpt from one of his poems. He says this, Lo, I am with you always means when you look for God, God is in the look of your eyes. In the thought of your looking, nearer to you than yourself. Lo, I am with you always means when you look for God, God is in the look of your eyes, nearer, in the thought of looking, nearer to you than yourself. Rainer Maria, uh, Maria Rilke was born in 1875 and was an Austrian poet and novelist. And he wrote this from, from God's perspective. He says this, and this is from uh, Letters to a Young Poet. I am, you anxious one. Don't you sense me, ready to break into being at your touch? My murmurings surround you like shadowy wings. Can't you see me standing before you, cloaked in stillness? Hasn't my longing ripened in you from the beginning as fruit ripens on a branch? I am the dream that you are dreaming. When you want to awaken, I am that wanting. I grow strong in that beauty you behold. And with the silence of stars, I unfold your cities made by time. Friends, what if the longing for God's presence is actually a sign of God's presence with us? 
Thomas Merton prayed it this way in a prayer to God. Thomas Merton said, I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. The desire to please you, God, does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I'll never do anything apart from that desire. What a great prayer. David shows us that our response to longing is to seek God's presence Realizing it's right here. It's not far. And then to remember God's power and glory. Verse 2. David says, I've seen you in your sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And I wonder, where have you seen God recently? Or throughout your life? Where have you most clearly seen God? Where have you seen God's power and God's glory on display? David found God in the sanctuary and remembered God's presence and God's faithfulness through that time. And I wonder if you've seen God in this sanctuary. Scripture also says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So really, God's, the whole earth is God's sanctuary. So I wonder if you've seen God outside of these walls. If you've beheld God's power and glory. I shared this once before. I forget whether it was here or in the sanctuary, but um, about 20 years ago, I was going down to Texas for a, a conference that was being led by the Passion Group and Louis Giglio and, um, and, and others had put this together. It was called One Day. And uh, we were all coming into this conference in, in, I think it was in Houston. And as we were coming up, uh, we had driven, I was living in Colorado at the time, so we'd driven like lots of hours, right, to get from Colorado down to, to Houston, and we're pulling in, and the weather is just absolutely crazy. Like these huge, thick, dark clouds were swirling around us, and all of a sudden the heavens just opened up and just pouring, like downpour torrential rain. And we've got tents to set up. And we're supposed to stay in tents with thousands of other people for this weekend event to, to worship God and to seek God's face. It was based on a, a passage in Joel. That if my people would turn and, 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 and fast and, and come and repent, um, look at what God would do. And so we, we show up for this event and it's just like crazy. Like the heavens are opening up. I, I mean, I'm, I'm basically like ducking from every lightning strike. Like what in the world is going on. We actually had to go away. They were turning everybody away. We had to find another place to spend the night. And we came back and um, we, we, we did the conference the next day in the rain for the next like three days. And during that conference, um, Chris Tomlin had written a new song at that time, Holy is the Lord. You know that one? Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. Have you heard that before? We're singing, we're singing that chorus together. It was the first time that a group of people had sung it uh, together. Tomlin was debuting this song. And man, if we hadn't seen God's glory coming into that conference, like with the clouds and thick darkness that surrounded us, with the lightning strikes and thunder, <laughs> that, that word glory in the scripture here, when, when David's remembering God's power and glory, that word glory uh, is kavod in Hebrew, and it means heaviness heaviness, like the, the, the whole earth is, is filled. The whole earth is, is saturated with the heaviness of God, with God's glory. Have you ever seen God's glory on display? Oh, it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. And so for David, David saw it in the sanctuary. I wonder where you have experienced it. Maybe it's been here in worship as you've sung songs like that and others. 
if you've seen, if you've experienced what it's like to, to join the angels and saints in singing, holy is the Lord, the whole earth is saturated with God's heaviness and goodness and glory. And so verse 2, we read um, and we remember, David remembers. It's about remembering God's presence and God's glory and, and the ways that God has been faithful and present in our lives. And, and remembering that activates those memories and, and draws us in prayer closer to God's presence, closer to God's strength and power and might. Verse 3, David says, your love is better than life. God's love is better than life itself. The God who created all things in the universe, the God who created everything that we need, every drop of water, every piece of food, every plant, every animal, every star in the galaxy, the sun that gives us light and warmth and helps us to grow and helps the whole world to grow, that God who created all that stuff, the love of that God is better than any of that stuff. Amen? God's love is better than anything. God's love is, God is the source of all that stuff. The creation is made of God's love. It's all a love story. Carrie and I were talking about that a couple weeks ago, and she said, isn't is the Bible, like, it's just a, it's a love story, isn't it? Isn't that what this is? I thought, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, we have people that, that hold up signs at sporting events, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the whole Bible. The word of God made flesh is a love story for you and for me and for the sake of all the world. And God's love is better than life itself. And so our response to that longing, to that emptiness in our souls is to seek God's presence, realizing it's closer, as close as our very breath. To remember God's power and glory and where that leads us to is a place of praise. I've talked about Mepkin Abbey before several times in here. Some of you have been to Mepkin Abbey. It's a monastery in South Carolina. It's an awesome place. My goal, like um, my, my last Sunday here is going to be August 14th. And, and by the time, it, but then we're going to continue to be a part of the church and we'll be around. But my goal, like from here on for the rest of my life, I've got lots of goals. But one of them is all you need to go to Mepkin Abbey. Like it's awesome. It's really, really cool. <laughs> it's really fun. And what they do is they allow, they allow you to participate in their prayer life, the monks. And so you go and you sit in the choir stalls with the monks and, and you, you get out scripture and, and you read the book of Psalms to each other and you kind of sing it back and forth responsibly. And it's a beautiful way to pray. It's a beautiful way to be in God's presence, be aware of God's glory and to praise God. And, and, and they always start um, when we first go in, whether it's at 3.30 in the morning or, or, or 7 at night, they always start with the same verse, uh, Psalm 51, verse 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. We were made to proclaim God's praise. And that's what David reminds us of this morning. I will praise you in verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live. I'll lift up my hands. Friends, when we lift our hands like this, this is a posture of openness. And when we lift our hands, our hands are empty. And this is exactly how people prayed in Jesus' day. Now, I know I just came from the sanctuary, and in there sometimes people, especially at 11 o'clock, not so into raising hands, right? Like that doesn't always happen over there. And that's okay. Like it's okay you can praise God without raising your hands. But I know y'all, some of y'all raise your hands when we praise, right? 
right? And we do that because it's a sign of God's goodness and God's glory. It's a sign of of the fact that we surrender ourselves to the God of the universe. And it's also a posture of prayer saying, God, I bring all that I am and I have nothing in my hands. And yet I expect, Lord, that you are going to meet me and that you are here and that you will provide everything that I need. And that's what David does. David prays with hands wide open in the middle of the desert with 3,000 soldiers coming after him to kill him. David stops and says, God, you are awesome. And I remember all the awesome things you've done and I am going to praise you like this because I know that salvation is coming. Amen? And David invites us to that same open posture. Jesus says the same thing. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? The, all of these, these things that we seek, that we long for, all of this. I, I, I was, so, sorry, I was, I was taught, um, I grew up in a church where we were kind of taught to pray like this, right? Um, because this is the way that you pray, because it's holy and, and reverent, and, and that's good. And if this is the way that you connect with God in prayer, awesome, and keep doing it. Because it also says in Scripture, like, go into your closet, don't let anybody see you. So you can do it like that. But you can also pray like this, right? Because our hands are open, waiting for what God might have for us. God, God opens his hands and satisfies the desires of every living thing, Scripture says another place in the Psalms. And so that's how we sing. Realizing, verse 5, we can be fully satisfied with the richest foods because only God, the creator of the universe, can fulfill those longings in our heart. And Jesus says it a, a different way. He says, seek first God's kingdom. And I, I know you need all those other things. I know you need food and clothing and shelter and all that stuff, but seek first God's kingdom and all these other things will be given unto you. I love verse 6. He says, David says, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Friends, what do you remember when you lay down on your bed to go to sleep at night? Now, I mean, if you're like David, I know it's the word of the Lord, right? And God's promises and God's faith. Like, that's what you remember before you go to sleep. Um, Maybe some of you do what my wife and I do, which is like, sometimes get on our phones and like watch something like not the same thing like in our phones next to each other like hey honey I'm so glad we're we're married I love you good night right don't 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 do that um but there's a time there's a season in our marriage where we would watch stuff together and and before we went to bed and I don't y'all remember like I don't know I don't endorse this at all so I don't even know why I'm saying it but we there's things on Netflix that you can watch right that are kind of entertaining sometimes and we'd watch like there was one time we were watching Breaking Bad together that's a terrible thing to watch right before you go to bed the season before that, I think we watched uh, 24, which is a show that happens in 24 hours. It's crazy intense. Things are blowing up. Like everything happens in 24 hours. There's this ticking time thing that goes throughout the episode and you're just like, uh, and like it ends and you're like, oh, I got to watch one more. Um, yeah, don't go to bed like that. <laughs> don't go to bed like that. But I wonder what you remember when you lay down before you drift off to sleep. What David remembers is that even in the midst of the desert, David remembers God's faithfulness. David remembers God's presence. And it's the memory of those times when, when God seemed most present and most alive that helps him through that desert place. And that's what David offers for us to remember as well. There's a prayer practice called examine, E-X-A-M-E-N, um, 
that encourages us to do this. And I've mentioned this before too, but it's just basically when you go to bed, I, I encourage you, maybe set down the phone, maybe turn off the TV, um, maybe just think for a minute, where did I see God today? How did I experience God's faithfulness? It's a way of, of, of being intentional about remembering God's faithfulness in our lives and our response to it. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me, David says in verse 8. I, I follow hard after you is how that can be translated because God's love will never fail. God will always satisfy our longings. And so I, the response to our longings is that we seek God's presence, we remember God's power and glory, and we praise God. And that would be a great place to end this message this morning. But the problem is there are more verses in that psalm. Did you hear these when I read them the first time? Like the last verses of this psalm <laughs> say this. Verse 9, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They'll go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice and all who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. And and sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read some of the things in the, in the first part of the Bible, and then I think about some of the things like a few chapters later, like when, when Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount says things like, I don't know, turn the other cheek, or love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Is that the same? Yeah, it's the same book, right? Like that, those don't seem to go together, do they? But man, I love that those verses are in this scripture. And of course, Christ came to fulfill all the stuff that came before him. And he did so perfectly in order that we might have life and not be bound by the law of the Old Testament. But I think that those verses give us hope. Those verses that, that talk about, oh, those you people who are all about evil, I, I hope that you will meet justice one day. And, and I think just reading, I, I hope that you'll become food for jackals. I mean, I think about that, right? Like, that's a pretty vivid imagery. I hope that you'll meet the sword and become food for jackals. I, that, that the mouths of liars will be silenced. That's powerful, and that's honest, and that's in Scripture, and that's what we read in the Psalms, the, the prayer book of God's people for thousands of years. It's okay to be honest with God. As long as we remember that vengeance, it also says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not ours to enact that. But man, especially after a, a week like this, right, where once again we find ourselves praying for comfort for those who died in a mass shooting. At the 4th of July, right, they're at a parade with their families celebrating the birthday of our country. And some of them didn't get to go home. And here we are again, again, crying out to God. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those psalms of lament in a couple of weeks. How long, O oh Lord? But when we read these verses, we know that that is, that even David took comfort in knowing that things wouldn't always be like this. That God is a God of justice. That God is in the process through Christ Jesus and through, through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, God is in the process of making all things right. 
And there will be a day when all things are made new. And when every injustice will be corrected, when every tear, it says, will be wiped away, God, God himself will wipe away the tears that we have shed because of the violence that we've done to each other. That's the promise of Scripture. That's the promise that, that David knew, even though David lived at a time before Jesus, David knew that God was a God of faithfulness and that God was a God of restoration. I mean, he experienced it in his own life, right? Several weeks ago, we, we read Psalm 51 and, and talked about all the ways that David fell short of the life that God called him to. And yet, yet God loved him. God, God in Jesus died even for murderers and thieves and the worst of sinners among us, which we all are sinners and fall short. Here's another poem by Rilke, and I want to uh, close with this. This poem is called Oh Say, Poet. And it goes like this. Oh say, poet, what you do. Oh say, poet, what you do. I praise but what about the deadly and monstrous? How do you keep going? How do you take it all in? I praise. David offers us comfort this morning in scripture that even in the face of extreme difficulty, even in the face of, of extreme longing and ache in our bones and in our, our very souls, that God is with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, literally means God is with us in those times, in those times when you find yourself sitting in a chair wondering, how did I get here? Why am I so alone? In those times when you find yourself in the desert and you look around, you go, oh, I am just so thirsty. Even in those times when you feel like life is caving in on you and you have nowhere to go, then and especially then, remember that God is with us. And friends, if you haven't met that God, if you haven't met God's son, Jesus, come and talk to me. Come and talk to any of the pastors on staff. And we would love to walk with you and introduce you and, and, and walk with you um, alongside Jesus, who loves you more than anything else, whose love is better than anything we could desire, whose love is better than even life itself. God who invites us to come as we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what our background is, and know that God is with us and for us and making all things new in the world and in our hearts. I pray that you would know the comfort of that God today and always. And that your response would be like David's when you find yourself longing to seek God, knowing God is not near, God is not far from any of us, but God is near to all who call upon him. To remember God's acts of faithfulness, even if you haven't experienced them yourself, someone in this room has. Amen? Someone has, Say amen if you've experienced God's faithfulness. Amen. Amen. So any of those people that said amen, come talk to us because we've seen it and we've experienced it. We've experienced the glory of God and God's presence 
and God's power in the world. And the response that God invites us to, the response that David reminds us of this morning is in those times, even in the worst of them, we can praise God with arms wide open, expectant that God is with us, even and especially in the difficulty, just as Jesus came to die on the cross for you and for me. God was with us through that. And God's son, Jesus, was raised from the dead to make all things new, to make all things right, to make all things beautiful, and to bring us closer into relationship with the Lord of all the living and with everything created. So may you know that, God, today and always.